Welcome to episode 87 of the Left Behind Game Club. This week we play Act 1 of Kentucky Route Zero. You can find all things Left Behind Game Club at leftbehindgame.club, on Instagram at leftbehindgameclub, and on Twitter at leftbehindclub. If you want to join our Discord and talk about this and many other titles, you can find a link to that on our website. If you like the show, do us two favors. One, share the show with someone who you know likes in-depth video game discussion. The second thing is to give us a review on your podcasting platform of choice. It helps a lot. Kentucky Route Zero is a magical, realist adventure game about a secret highway in the caves beneath Kentucky. Did that logline intrigue you? Yeah, me too. Let's get right into it. You're listening to the Left Behind Game Club. Welcome to the Left Behind Game Club, our never-ending attempt to make sure that no game is left behind. I'm your host, Jacob McCord, and today I have two friends with me. The first friend, you know him, you love him. His name is Michael Ruffalo. I'm touched, and I'm excited to talk about a very interesting game. I really brought the fire there, so I'm glad you're you touched. You really did, yeah. Uh, and our second guest, first time on the pod, uh, I will call him doctor just one time. Uh, it is Dr. Adam Ionetta. Adam, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Happy to be here. And please, the uh, doctor are, is no longer necessary. <laughs> what, what are you a doctor of? I didn't ask you this before we started recording. <laughs> uh, well, I got my DMA, which uh, is Doctorate of Musical Arts. Uh, I'm a, a vocalist by trade, and uh, uh, I guess, truth be told, I sing. So that is that is what I got my PhD in. You write uh, on the internet as well, right? Uh, that's right. I do have my own website, adamionetta.ca, and there I have a blog where I basically take excerpts from my research, which focused on um, an interesting take on reevaluating earlier 18th and 19th century art song and presenting it for modern day audiences. So if you're at all interested in that, check out the blog. Today is not about 18th and 19th century music being reinterpreted. Today is about Kentucky Route Zero, a video game developed by Cardboard Computer and published by Annapurna Interactive. Uh, Gentlemen, what did you know about... uh, I won't ask you that. Gentlemen, if you had to pitch Kentucky Route Zero in one sentence, how would you pitch the game? I will start with Michael this time. Uh, I would describe it as Lynchian magical realism. I will go next and uh, dumb it down a little and say uh, it's a spoopy video game that uh, <laughs> likes to cop a lot of what X-Files does. Adam, what do you think? Kentucky Route Zero is a surrealist reimagining of the classic cross-country Canada computer game series. Ooh, very good. Deep cuts, deep cuts. In one of our past episodes of Short Hike, we talked a lot about Canadiana, so I'm glad that we're continuing uh, to talk about Canadiana, especially with relation to video games. Uh, What did you guys know about Kentucky Route Zero before we started playing this one? Because this is uh, uh, not a first, but... It's rare. Mike, you were the one that said, I absolutely want to play this game. You've been telling us to play this game for like a year. Yeah, I have been I've been beating the drum of like, hey guys, we should play this game. <laughs> it's episodic. It fits our it fits our, our whole structure really good. It looks super interesting. And everyone ignored me until I beat that drum so loud that it was too hard to ignore. <laughs> um so yes, I knew very little, close to nothing, about Kentucky Route Zero, other than a screenshot of that Equus oil, which uh, I'm sure we'll get into, Um, and I had known that it was an incredibly odd game, um, a very artsy game, um, and it had been in development for seemingly forever. Um, I I knew there was a Kickstarter, and, and that's about it. Uh, Adam, what did you know about Kentucky Route Zero before we started? Uh, Truth be told, I knew absolutely nothing about the game until Michael proposed uh, for me to come on to this episode and talk about it. And usually, I tried to treat this episode similarly to studying a role for a show where I said, okay, I'm just going to write down my first impressions of what we're going to be working on and go from there. Unfortunately, when you know next to nothing about the game, your first impressions become just a, a steady stream of 
Jackson Pollock vomit. So I, <laughs> I remember writing down things like Kentucky Route Zero, Kentucky Fried Chicken, Star Fox Zero, <laughs> Route 42, Dairy Bar, and Diner. So that's about as far as I got. But uh, after doing a little more research on the game... Um, I'm really excited to talk about this. A, a true academic at heart. Um, <laughs> Mike, I knew little to nothing about this game, apart from what you said. It was a Kickstarter. It took forever to come out, and it's super weird. So I'm excited to play through this, especially after episode one. Um, I played it on PC. I just so happened to have a Steam copy because, of course, I do. Uh, Mike, how did you play this one? That is the most Jacob McCourt thing I've heard. Of like, oh, I just happened. I mean, actually, the most Jacob McCourt thing is having two copies and not being interested in playing it. I had to force myself not to rebuy this for a console because this game's available on literally everything. It is on uh, Linux, Windows, uh, Mac. It is on Switch, PS4, Xbox One. But the Switch, PS4, Xbox One versions didn't come out, I think, until like this year as like the TV edition. So just know that it was a struggle and I almost bought it again, but thank you for the compliment. I played Kentucky Route Zero on my Xbox One. I played the TV edition uh, and I was really tempted, uh, unlike Jacob, to buy it when I already had it. I was tempted to just buy it on PC to begin with, (laughs) even though I don't really have a PC copy. I thought maybe I can just play it on my laptop with a mouse or something. And I figured... This seems like a game that you want to sit back and admire the art and a nice big big screen TV is a, is a good way to do it. So that's what I did. Hmm. Adam, how did you play uh, Kentucky Route Zero? Similarly to Jacob, I uh, just downloaded it from the lovely folks over at Steam and uh, just used a standard mouse. So truth be told, I'm a bit of a, a Luddite when it comes to those kinds of things. I, I hate using a trackpad on my computer. So uh, I love having a, a nice analog mouse next to me. And it's interesting. I couldn't get, for some reason, the controller support to work. So I had the laptop like sitting on my chest, like doing my the MacBook, <laughs> like using my finger to play. Yes. And it was, apart from being, you know, graphically intense for my five-year-old Mac, uh, no slowdown or anything, but like it, my my laptop got real hot. Uh, it was perfectly fine to play like that. So we play in a variety of different ways, but it worked out in every case. On that note, when did the first episode come out, Jacob? Uh, you know? So, yeah. So the first episode came out on January 7th of 2013. Uh, but this game even goes back to when they started development in 2011. So, like... It's been in development for essentially 10 years. There's a great write-up on Polygon.com about their 10-year journey, Cardboard Computer's 10-year journey of putting this game out, because largely it's it's just three people that are working on it. Um, mm-hmm. It's something I wouldn't recommend you read right now, because it has spoilers for the first four acts, mm-hmm. but at the end, if you're still with us, uh, read that. It's a, it's a cool interview with them. Cool. I didn't read it, of course. No spoilers. <laughs> yes. Uh, man. Okay, so this, I guess we should probably hop into you know, what this game kind of is. Absolutely. Um, and I think the the very plain on its face uh, description of this game is it's kind of a point and click adventure game. Um, you are pointing and you're clicking and you're going and you're either, uh, you know, reading a description of what you see in front of you or you're interacting with them and choosing, you know, which dialogue option, which version of the character you want to be. But that grossly i think uh under describes what this game is which is incredibly odd um it it gets you right from the get-go um and it is very clearly a unique game in with with all its um pros and cons attached how would you guys describe it you know, I, I would go as far as to say, you know, as, as much as it is advertised as a video game, um, I would say it's even more along the lines of an interactive novel where, you know, because it's the point and click adventure game is heavily based around um, the text based dialogue. And so I remember when when Mike had first invited me onto the show for this game and I was looking up what it was, it said it was a point and click adventure game and the only thing I could think to myself was, 
I am not going to like this. Because truth be told, I am not a very big fan of those kinds of games. I admit they're they're wonderful, like you know the uh, the Monkey Island series, Grim Fandango. They're they're beautiful and amazing pieces of work. But I myself am not a big fan of those kinds of games. But this one is, and to to quote MVC's Tom Marks, is a delightful game. And uh, you know it uh, it presents itself more to me, at least, as a as an interactive novel. Uh, as opposed to a game where, you know, there aren't really any puzzles or challenges. You're really just progressing the story forward and at the same time learning that much more about the characters and this strange world that they all exist in. Yeah, it's it's incredibly bizarre. And, like, we've played a lot of games that, you know, are quote-unquote, I don't want to say weird, but, like, quote-unquote strange. You know, we've played Virginia, we've played Oxenfree, we've played the games that, you know, uh, have that Control, X-Files, Alan Wake vibe to them, but even in this first episode, I... I don't know what the hell we're playing, to be honest. And I'm, but I'm totally okay with it. To to me, it is it is very clearly like literary magical realism, where there is like a world that you know, but magic kind of just happens and doesn't transform like your understanding of the world. There's no mage sitting in the corner casting a spell, but there's just magical related things that happen that people just kind of like go on with their lives. Um, and it's it hits you right at the beginning of the game where y- you roll in off the highway to Equus Oils uh, and you end up having a conversation with a very strange man sitting in the dark at his gas station and he tells you to go down into the basement to flip the breaker. And when you get there, there's a group of people playing essentially Dungeons and Dragons, <laughs> some type of role playing game in the dark and you try and have a conversation with them and they don't recognize your existence at all. And you then flip the lights or you go to grab the die that they lost. And when you come back, they are absolutely not there. Mm -hmm. And this whole time, if you go up and you talk to the very strange man who's sitting at his gas station, you say, Hey, there's some people in the basement who are blocking the breaker and they are totally ignoring me. He's like, there's no one there. You're crazy. There's, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, I I don't think I fully realized how I think strange this journey is going to be until I went into that basement. And then I just thought that they were hazing me or they were just being jerks and know that they're not there so yeah i think that's a really good way of like setting the stage of saying like if if you at that point in the game if you're like i don't know if i'm into that it lets you you know what kind of game it is right from the get very much yeah exactly yeah you know within Um, the first 15 minutes but and the the thing that uh i think it didn't let me know uh as quickly as i would have kind of liked was just how dark this game can get um it it to me seems to cross the line pretty um pretty evenly like about halfway through between magical realism and a little bit of that cosmic horror or or um magical horror there are some extremely creepy elements in this game as much as there are also you know kind of cute quirky moments throughout um so I'm sure I'm sure we'll get there. The the one other thing that I wanted to mention is like what type of game this is. Adam, you had said there's you know there's not exactly you know puzzles you need to solve, but I found you know the, the act of playing this game is kind of solving a puzzle. Like you just need to figure out where you have to go. Um, like I spent so much time driving around Kentucky, um, or what looked to be a map of Kentucky, <laughs> uh, trying to figure out where I needed to be and where the crossroads were by this burning tree. Um, that was, you know, not very clear on the map, um, until I finally got there and triggered the next event. And, you know, especially as I got towards the end of this episode, I was lost for a good chunk of it. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was just I was riding the road, just exploring, <laughs> see if, seeing, seeing what I could stumble into. Riding the road with your puppy, hey? <laughs> exactly, yeah. Which I, I think also bears some explaining. Jacob, can you 
give us some context on on the dog. Sure. So uh, you have a very frail old dog that, uh, you know, you in the game play a character named Conway. He is an antique shop delivery man, and he has this really old truck that he's driving around in. And your companion is a dog, a dog who is very frail, who looks lost the entire time you're playing looks like needs a good meal um but also you get to name the dog as well i think you have a a series of two choices um i picked uh, homer because like i immediately thought of uh, the odyssey and was like i'm gonna name my dog homer so that's the name of my dog what did you guys name your dog uh i ended up naming my dog blue and uh it has nothing to do with the uh, popular treehouse series blue's clues but uh i i think it just i had a friend growing up who who also had a dog named blue and uh that kind of caught my attention i i think there was a third option and i think that was quite possibly the worst option to tell joseph at the gas station and that was just simply i've never seen this mutt before i don't know who he is and just kind of completely cast him aside that was me. That's what I chose. <laughs> uh, yes. The heartless man. Because I also didn't realize that that is my dog. And it just ended up being that for the rest of the episode, the dog follows you everywhere you go. From one scene to the next, the dog is with you. Now, it was only after we had left the Equus Oils that I realized, like, oh, this is my dog. <laughs> like, I should know who this dog is. Um, I could not explain why this sad old dog is wearing a sad old hat. But it is. Um, and I, I guess this is probably a good launching off point to, to, you know, kind of get into what kind of character did you guys play? Because, you know, you're given different types of, I'd say, dialogue options or, or choices. Um, did you play a character with any, you know, type of internal consistency or did you, you know, just kind of go with what felt right in the moment? Uh, for me, I was uh, I was a very impulsive player. So I mean, there were moments where I thought, well, you know, considering everything else, Conway has said up until this point, do you think he'd answer like this? But uh, it was really just sort of in the spirit of the moment. And I will admit there were times where the dialogue options I was given did not match up with how I was genuinely feeling at that point. There were so many times where I wanted to straight up ask, what is going on here? But <laughs> but that, that question never seemed to arise. It was, oh, do you like poetry? It's like, I don't care about that right now. I just want to know what's going on. But, uh, but for the most part, it was really within the, within that moment, uh, really helped to decide my, uh, my thinking. But I also like to think that, you know, we, we learned so much about these characters, not just from the, the answers that we pick, but also from the answers that we don't pick. And I think that goes with the whole idea about what we say versus what we think. And so, you know, these could have all been different options going on inside of Conway's mind, for instance, and he just figured, okay, well, what's the best thing to say? And I'll just keep my thoughts to myself. Mm-hmm. Jacob, what kind of character did you pick? What kind of choices? Um, I played him like I was Reginald Vell Johnson from <laughs> Die Hard. <laughs> have you ever watched the show family matters yes yes i have carl winslow yeah yeah i know carl winslow so essentially the whole time he's like i'm getting too old for this like that's how i played my character in kentucky route zero where he's an antique delivery driver where he just doesn't want to do this it's his one of his last jobs and like i just i just need to deliver this furniture to kentucky route zero i (laughs) i don't know man just let me do my job like that's how i'm gonna play my character yeah, I, if if I remember correctly, you have to go to Five Dogwood Drive. Is that, oh, is that I'm the, already the tired. address? <laughs> yeah. Um, the the type of character I played. So when I loaded up this game and got into those this very somewhat like poetic dialogue, um, it really reminded me of the Jim Jarmusch film Patterson. So I was like, I'm just gonna play a really curious, uh, random character someone who's kind of just stumbling through life in a way you mean the adam driver film where he plays a bus driver yes (laughs) adam driver the bus driver yep go ahead adam driver the bus driver that film yeah that's what it reminded me of um so i would end up always choosing the question uh that maybe didn't get me closer to my goal but kind of helped me to explore the person i was talking to or the the world around me a little bit more Mm -hmm. so it was always like you know, you could ask 
you could ask the computer like, hey, how do I get to the exact destination that I need to? Or you could ask the computer like, hey, like, you know, what is this random thing? And I, I don't remember exactly what it was, but I just remember it being like, well, what Michael would pick is like, <laughs> how do I get to the thing that I have to do so that way I can get out of here and, and be gone? Um, but the, the character I was playing was was way more just curious and poetic and, mm. and just out there and trying to I think kind of blend into the world as weird as it is um, that then be, you know, one of us that would be extremely weirded out by, <laughs> by what was happening. Um, so now that we know exactly how we played our characters um, and we've kind of explored what the first part of the game is when it started to unravel, did you think that when you got to the Marcus farmhouse, like, that things were getting weirder or, or what were your thoughts when you moved from the gas station to the, the farmhouse? Yeah. You get, you go from Equus oil where the guy gives you a TV. He's like, go to, go to the Marquez farmhouse. And the other weird thing is the password to the computer that you need to get into, um, to help, you know, find directions and all of that. The password is Marquez. So you realize like there's some connection here. Mm -hmm. Um, you go to the Marquez farmhouse and it's, it's, it's very it's an odd house to begin with. It's kind of oddly shaped and there's a very weird character in there who's kind of a mathematician and is kind of like an oracle in a way, um, which you come to find out as the game progresses. Is she that, like, not a PhD in mathematics? She is. She is. Okay. Yeah, she is also a doctor. Um, <laughs> I was among my people. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's it's just like it was one weird experience to an even weirder experience. And I felt like this game was just a series of progressions of like, how weird can we take you before you just like exit out of this window and decide not to come back? <laughs> we got your money too bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. How did, how, what, what was your take uh, when you got to the Marquez farmhouse? Uh, for me, it was everything seemed as normal as it could be. I mean, yes, I will admit it was pretty unsettling. You've got kind of this nighttime scene and this odd looking house on the hill, which by the way, is conveniently built right next to a graveyard. Um, but I, I just decorative though. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> strictly, strictly decorative. But, uh, I, I think things started to become really unsettling for me. As soon as I entered the house, turned on the light and there was Marquez just standing there looking at me and just asking, talking to me as if I was, uh, you know, no one's special. And meanwhile, I'm trying to figure out what are you doing in the dark? But as I mentioned before, that was not a question I was able to ask because that would make too much sense at this point. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, doesn't Weaver just ask you a, a series of like very silly questions that have nothing to do with your whole goal, which is hey, I have this this address, which I don't know where it is. It's not on a map. But hey, this Kentucky Route Zero, I need to find a way to access it. But she's asking you random questions that have nothing to do with this. Also, she repairs TVs. You got to make a living somehow, right? I mean, you know, you have to pay <laughs> off. I, as as a PhD, you, you need to pay off those student loans. <laughs> and you know what? We, we live in a world now where the trade skills are in so much more demand than higher education. So, uh, you know what? If that means you're cleaning off TVs and repairing them, then by all means you have to if you have to get a side hustle then go for it so yeah just if, if you were repairing tvs would you blow on the tube or not <laughs> well or spit spit on the that's tube? right spit spit on it um well you know a magician never reveals their secrets so <laughs> <laughs> very fair very fair um this is the first time when i think the game's style with like five y's really like is seen because at that point, like, you're in the house, and I think it's fair to describe the game as very dark. It reminded me, like, uh, Batman the Animated Series, which we bring up a lot on this podcast, was drawn on black paper, uh, which was not traditional animation in the 90s. It reminded me a lot of this because it is so dark. Uh, you see mostly shadows, not characters, but when you're in this house, uh, there's a, a point in the scene when you look out through the window in the back of the house, mm -hmm. and... I was blown away, even on my five-year-old laptop, artistically, the walls fall away, and you just see the horses in the and backyard. And they come back. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, I don't know how to, if I'm describing it well, but, like, the actual art 
style of that was was mind-blowing to me. I Not was, what I was expecting at all. I, I was actually reminded of um, the classic Paper Mario series and how they kind of transitioned from scenes to scenes where it's almost like a, a traditional paperback pop-up book and at that moment when the house begins to unfold like that like individual strands of paper that was the first thing that came to my mind as well as uh, what they do with um different perspectives within the scene like uh um what's in the midground versus the background and what's in the foreground like for instance as you're leaving the house and you begin to hear this music and see this these silhouettes of this folk group just playing in the foreground in front of where you are in the midground, just taking your truck and getting the hell out of Dodge. And, uh, it's, <laughs> it's, it's really, yeah. it's really something. Yeah. If, if I were to describe the art style of this game, it would be like, um, uh, what's, what's the game from the creators of below, uh, sword and sorcery. Yeah. Mm. Uh, like that, but less pixelized, mm. more clean lines. Mm-hmm. Um, where all of the characters tend to have this, you know, kind of elongated, lanky look to them. Um, but then you get elements that are just very cleanly drawn, like the horses, um, which really gives this sense of you're seeing different types of reality, um, you know, depending on, you know, what's happening in the scene. Um, and, and Jacob, I think you bring up a really interesting point that like the the vibe of this game is very much that it's you know created over top of a really dark palette um you know a lot of the game or a lot of what you kind of experience in the game is driving around a map which is really just a black canvas with the roads mapped over top Mm -hmm. of it and a, a wheel representing your your van um and even the the stops that you get at or get to um, are described as very dark. I stumbled across this very weird diner where um, the entire diner was dark, and you don't see any of this. It's all described to you via text. The entire diner's dark. You open a door, and it's only by opening the door do you get a glimpse inside, and your eyes adjust to it, and you sit down at the counter, and you have a very like mild conversation with the waitress, and then she kisses you, and then you leave. And so little of this is in your control or in your power to, to choose. It's just like a little vignette that they just describe to you in this really poetic way. And there's just, and it just gives this overarching sense of like very strange darkness, which is where I feel like the, the cosmic horror, you know, kind of came from that like this world is a whole lot darker, not only you know, visually, but also narratively than it, than it initially feels that diner was one of the, you know, odd things that I kind of stumbled across. Did you guys do some driving around? Because the, the instructions that they give you are like, you know, go drive up the 65. And once you hit the burning tree, turn left, and then it'll be at the base of the mountain. But there's a lot of driving that you have to do to find some of these next, next objectives. Um, Did you guys find anything along the way? No. So what I, what I found and, and what's cool and what I appreciated as someone who carries around field notes with me in his bag, usually <laughs> is that when you hit escape or when you hit like the help button when you're on the map it's a a field notes book just opens and it tells you exactly hey pass the artificial limb factory and take a right and once you do you'll find exactly what you're looking for the game like described fairly well what you had to do and where you had to go but it i guess it took a little bit to get to where you were going i think that's my long way of saying i was like the path of least resistance in this first act and i just did what was asked of me nothing more I played this, um, and this is this is one of my uh, my greatest guilts about video games is that I'm very much a completionist, and so when you give me what is essentially this open world sandbox map of Kentucky, and you can literally just tell me you can drive anywhere you want and just stumble upon anything, I told myself, well, surely I'm going to spend the next you know ten to fifteen minutes just exploring all of Kentucky as best as I can. I mean. It's it's like in The Legend of Zelda. You know, I, I know I have to save the princess, but I really, really want to play this uh, arrow shooting game right now to try and fill up my hearts. <laughs> but uh, so I, I have no problem with side quests. And uh, so I tried to explore as much of the map as possible, which is why I'm really upset that I didn't discover this diner that uh, that you found, Michael. I uh, 
I'm trying to remember. The one thing I found was I stumbled upon this guitar player who was just sitting casually yes. on the road. And similar to everybody else in the game up until this point, they just vanish. I just, I remember writing down in my notes, everybody just keeps disappearing. And I was, <laughs> it was driving me bonkers. I'm like, no one in this game is sticking around long enough. What's going on right now? But, uh... Yeah, the, the that whole exploration aspect of the game is is amazing. I guess I'm just really curious then, because my, my first act playthrough of this game was 56 minutes exactly. Um, was your playthrough a lot longer, or was it just like, hey, I spent an extra 10 or 15 minutes going through this very succinct first act? Uh, I would Mine clocked in at about an hour and 25 minutes. So, um, I, I just, I like to take my time with these kinds of things and it's just sort of my perfectionist completionist mentality. So I was similar to Adam in terms of length only it was not because I was a completionist. It was because once we had, uh, completed the Elkhorn mine, I didn't know where to go. Uh, (laughs) I, I didn't know how to trigger acts five, six, and seven, uh, or scenes five, six, and seven of the of the first episode. So I I was just like, well, everything in here has to be at one of these locations. So I'm just going to keep driving around and checking out the locations and exploring Kentucky until uh, until I see it. Um, that's probably a good uh time for us to talk about what happens at Elkhorn Mine. Speaking of vanishing, <laughs> um, there are it is I think the point in which things get the most creepy for me. Um, what, why do we end up having to go to Elkhorn? I I don't remember what the transition was. Wasn't it just that, um, so Weaver, uh, so Weaver Marquez at the Marquez farmhouse, didn't she just say that you'll find Kentucky Route Zero here and it just ended up being a mine shaft? Like that's, that's all I think the game was. That's gotta be it. Yeah. Did it, yeah. Did it have something to do with, I thought she mentioned, uh, a bait and tackle shop at one point, which is where... Uh, she said Shannon will be able to fix the TV, and so you you go to the bait and tackle shop, and she's not there. And I th- I think from there they kind of give you the the pointing arrow to let you know, hey, you now have to go to the mine or something along those That's lines. So interesting because I did the bait and tackle shop after I found Shannon at Elkhorn Mine. And I and that's probably why my notebook didn't have directions uh, after a certain point. Uh, um, I think I had broken the sequencing of it, mm-hmm. um, and and so I didn't have any more notes. But yeah, you go to Elkhorn Mine and you find that it that it's it's got this history, and that Weaver's parents were were they cultural anthropologists or something along that those lines? They were f- where they were making notes. They were uh, folk music archivists. You know, tomato, tomato. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, they were they were making notes on the. I think it was the culture of the of the miners. Mm-hmm. And you heard um, you heard a ton of of like just how horrible this mine was to its employees to to the miners that they had to buy their own canary to make sure that they didn't die down there, or they had Wild. to buy. Yeah, they had to buy their own ventilation in the mine, yeah. which was. Crazy, and they got paid in like mine bucks, yeah, in yeah. tokens, um, itchy, yes. itchy, and scratchy dollars. It makes <laughs> it, it, it makes buying things more fun. So, as as someone who not only marketed and sold PPE, but also lived in, <laughs> in a town, and you guys know this, where uh, we had kind of a, a liquor magnate also give out uh, Walker bucks, Hiram Walker bucks. Um, I was particularly bothered by uh, ha- having to buy your own PPE with mine bucks. I was also hugely, yeah, weirded out and disturbed, but not nearly as disturbed as when. You get into uh, essentially like a mine car, mm-hmm. like a trolley car with um, with Shannon. Um, and I never, I guess, had a, a real good intro to Shannon. She kind of just appeared and became a character that I was co-playing with um, or, or playing as well. And I think that largely had to do with me breaking the sequencing. But I just took that as like a normal, natural thing as no, part of the story. No, that's because wild. Of just how weird this game is. Like the the game sets up a world up until this point that like that type of random weirdness could just be expected. Absolutely. Do you know what I mean? Right. But like, I think that there's a limit to the weirdness where like my expectation (laughs) was that like, cool, I'm going to be this single agent in this very bizarre story. But then they shift your perspective from uh, your initial character uh, from Conway to this second character that I know nothing about Shannon. 
And I, I think I did a double take where I was like, wait, I'm Shannon same. now? Uh, and then you flip right back to Conway in the same scene. I, I was just, I don't know, bothered by how like flippantly we move between characters. Yes, it is so weird. And it made it feel like, I don't know if you got this overarching sense that the game is just kind of dreamlike. And it it's kind of just walking the line between a dream and a nightmare at all times. And I think that's so much about, like, our back and forth of, like, so why were we going there? What happened next? It kind of has dream logic in that, like, you get places, but you don't exactly know, like, why you got there. Um, or it doesn't exactly make complete clear sense as to why you're going from A to B. Just dream logic allows you to be like, yeah, okay, yeah, of course. I've seen it in movies before and, and TV shows where they kind of, there's there's one larger scene happening, but what they do is they break it up in the episode where we're going to show you this exact same scene from this person's perspective. Or kind of like that episode of The Simpsons where Homer ends up losing his thumb and Lisa creates some sort of uh, grammatically correcting robot. Uh, and so, you know, you, you look at the entire episode from Homer's perspective, then you see it again from Lisa's perspective, then you see it from Bart's perspective. And that's that's kind of what I got at that point. And it was, it was something I, I really love the fact that this next chapter starts with you playing as Shannon and now you're interacting with who up until this point has been your primary avatar Conway and so now you're conversing with him and he's now speaking on his own behalf and uh, it was it was something that I've never really experienced before in a video game which I thought was really interesting because it takes away the need for cutscenes and things like that to really expand and elaborate on certain characters, especially your own. Whereas, you know, in other games, you just have to accept, uh, you know, the hero is this muted uh, elf-like hero who uh, speaks in nothing but grunts and groans. And, uh, you know, you kind of impress your own character upon it. But uh, with with things like this, you you kind of you know, you yourself kind of control who the character is, but then you also get to see who they are of their own volition. This is where the creepiest thing happens to me in Equus Mine. Mm-hmm. Or not Equus Mine, <laughs> in the Elkhorn Mine. Um, so you, you're having this back and forth between Conway and Shannon, and you bounce between both of them getting to, to play as the other. Um, and then you end up having to hop on this minecart. I think it's because Conway hurts his, hurts his leg in the middle of a rubble collapse or something along those lines. Yeah. Um, and as you move this car from left to right, um, you, you have two options. You can either let the natural light of the spark every time you hit a part of the line light up where you're at, or you can keep your torch active. What did you guys do? Before we explain what it what it reveals, well, I, I think that I, I just want to kind of say that um, you guys first end up like testing out the PA system sound mm-hmm. and like some really bizarre. Like if you're wearing headphones, you hear some really bizarre sounds start to come out of the PA system as Conway is testing it, and the testing causes a collapse in the mine where Conway hurts his leg. So when Conway hurts his leg, you get on the minecart, and what I ended up doing is I wanted the the light on the the minecart or my flashlight to illuminate the room because the dark is scary and I don't want to do it. I Yes. I, the dark is scary. I, I was the exact same way because when, you know, before the cave in, Shannon is is trying to explain what she does and she specializes in topography, which is the if I'm remembering it correctly, something along the lines of the study of um elevation. Yes, right? uh, uh, elevation and sort of the uh the geographical tunnel systems that they have underneath. And so she can basically figure out how long or how far a tunnel goes based on uh, the act of the sound reverberating from one end to the other. But the entire time she's explaining this to me and she's talking about all of her equipment that she uses, I'm sitting there thinking to myself, I'm pretty sure this topography thing isn't real and you're just a ghost hunter. You're like, everything you're doing is you're, you're just a ghost hunter. It's like, oh, I specialize in topography. That's a fancy word for ghost hunting. But, uh, and, uh, and so uh, as soon as the cave-in happened, I was convinced that like everybody else in this game, she was going to vanish. So I was, I was pleasantly Ooh. surprised that she was still there and willing to help. And so, you know, you hop aboard this cart and uh, I'm having seen what happens when the lights go out, in this game, I just said, keep the lantern on the entire time, but I'm now kicking myself because of that, 
for what happens, and uh, which is why I'll, I don't want to get yeah. ahead of myself. Yeah. So I, as you, as our listeners know, and as Jacob can attest to, I am a bit of a scaredy cat. <laughs> I do not like playing you horror games. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I do not like playing games that scare me. I don't like playing games that are are scary. Um, I'm I like to you know not be afraid. Um, but in this case, I was like, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go without the light. Like I don't need my lantern. And then you start seeing it every time. There's a spark. You see the silhouettes of groups of men mm-hmm. looking at you. What? Just, just looking at you along the way, and it is the most deeply unsettling. I got this sense of like I am going to be murdered down here. <laughs> like this was this was just incredibly unsettling. That I kept turning the lantern on and off because there was like a point at which I couldn't deal with it. I'm like I just I'm so creeped out by this whole game right now. I regret deeply deeply telling Jacob that I wanted to play this um, and thankfully it's not too too long um, but yeah if you keep it off the whole time you'll see the men start walking out of the tunnel out of the mine no. um, stop yeah. it yeah and and what you end up finding is that it's it's the it's the ghosts of the men who are to drown down there oh that makes um, so much sense yeah so yeah on your note of ghost hunting Adam she very well could be a ghost hunter um, and that's an interesting point to make too, because, um, one of the dialogue options that I chose as Conway was mom didn't allow us to watch a lot of TV. Um, she said it channeled the ghosts. Oh, um, huh. and Shannon is the one that repairs TVs. <laughs> oh my gosh. Right? Yeah. We're, we're having a Pepe Sylvia moment <laughs> here. So once once you have this very, very creepy experience at the Elkhorn Mine and you uh, start to escape, Conway's leg is pretty beaten up or broken, and you're just limping as him for the rest of the episode. Um, and it was at this point that I was like, I have no idea where to go. And this is where I did the vast majority of my exploring and just stumbled across, you know... Um, <laughs> a factory and I stumbled across a burning tree and I stumbled across a whole bunch of other stuff that diner that I was telling you about. Mm-hmm. And finally, finally uh, I triggered um, I think it was by going back to Equus oil, the, the next, the next stage. Um, and then finally, yeah. Did you not have that? No, I, I went back to the, looks, farm, Jacob. to the farmhouse. Yeah, I okay. I also went Explain. back to the farmhouse. So my thought was like, I I just did a bad thing by like making <laughs> making the mind go go boom. It's a thing I did. <laughs> did so I do my that? Immediate... <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm sorry. You mentioned so, Carl Winslow from before, so I I had to plug in a Steve Urkel reference. So um, do the Urkel. my thought was like I broke a thing, so like I need to go back to like mom. In this case, like I need to go back to the last place I was to be like, oh no, I screwed up really badly. So that's why I went to the farmhouse. I went directly there. Yeah, I uh, I did a little bit of meandering, but uh, shout out to uh, also the the best named route or road on this map, uh, Frenchman Knob Road. Uh, I just discovered that kind of just driving through Kentucky, and I I really hope there is a Frenchman Knob Road in Kentucky. I've never been, but uh, I'll have to go there one day and find it. But I was I was the same way. I just figured the only logical place for me to go is just back to the Weaver House because I'm I'm with. Shannon right now who is a blood relative so surely there'll be something there for us. I, I hey I, I googled it Frenchman Knob Road is an actual road in Kentucky Ah, and, and it's in so, Kentucky that was, that was one of the things that like the map and the names of the roads and just the, the odd angles and knowing that there's you know an I-65 um, all of those things struck me as like very real mm-hmm. in a world that struck me as very weird and odd and could have been completely fabricated if they had liked. Is it real? Cause I'm looking at the map of Kentucky where Frenchman Knob road is. And it looks a lot like the map for Kentucky route zero. I bet that it's actually a map of Kentucky that we're driving. Along. That's amazing. I know we're going to do our homework and come back in episode two and, and confirm this, but I, sorry, I do... Adam, I cut you off. Oh. No, no, no. I, I, I do know that um, the the destinations in this game, like while it is set in Kentucky, they said like they're based, like they're fictional 
or uh, uh, fictional um, areas. So um, that that leads me to to think that you know the like there is no Equus oils. Although it would be amazing if there was a gas station that looked like that with this giant Disney Pixar esque head of a horse just in behind it so, so i the art style is very like art deco right absolutely it reminds me a lot of um oh uh they um that game company uh journey uh do you guys remember that game at all for the for the yes. playstation that's that's what i pick up from this in addition to like the whole paper mario aspect of you know playing with the the foreground the midground and the background um the that sort of isometric uh shape of everything around you in your environment so the final kind of i guess mind trick that this game plays before the end of the act is that you go back to the farmhouse and shannon attempts to fix the old tv as i said before she spits on the tube and makes sure that it works and then again the same scene that happened earlier where the the foreground and the background kind of disappear you see the the stable in the back or the farmhouse in the back kind of almost vanish away and there's this like portal or warp area or i don't know what it is but it essentially is kentucky route zero and the next thing you see is your delivery truck full of antiques drive right through this portal without even asking a question wouldn't you ask a question wouldn't you say like hey what about, okay i'm gonna drive through this thing it didn't seem very smart but when you're on an ayahuasca trip i guess there isn't there isn't really smart <laughs> it's this game does feel like in a way a, a like a serious trip absolutely like, like you're on some real drugs <laughs> like none of that light stuff like none of the none of the stuff they'll give you in surgery no like you're on some your real real drugs yeah <laughs> um what were your thoughts when you went through i i just kind of i was like this is it that's the episode one i i huh? like that was my actual reaction in real time the it gave me a moment where i was like do i want to keep playing this <laughs> <laughs> like not because it isn't a ama- like it's amazing it's kind of an, like a crazy achievement but it gave me a sense of like if this game is going to be as creepy as it has been or or more creepy i don't know if i have it in me but um i'm buckled up i'm ready to go i'm i'm ready for the ride are you Adam, because like- 30 seconds ago you said you're done <laughs> <laughs> you know what i was real done when there were hundreds of dead miners as ghosts looking at me uh slowly making my way up to the surface um yeah i was i was real done i was real real done um and i accidentally spoiled some stuff for myself by looking at the the fandom uh page for kentucky route zero there is so much fan community stuff out there that that's what i noticed there's like a huge cult following behind this series and it it makes perfect sense the way it's written where it's got sort of this you know as you mentioned before mike um the sort of lynchian uh vibe to it where you know it's it really harkens on uh sort of themes and narratives from shows like twin peaks um from the early 1990s and uh even just um uh oh shoot what's um I, I can't Twilight think of the other one, so it must not be. What's that? Twi- you said Twilight. You didn't say Twilight Zone. You said uh, Twin, Twin Peaks. Peaks. Twin Peaks. But yeah, Twilight yeah. Zone. Twilight Zone is another excellent episode or uh, example because it's just that whole idea where you've got these otherwise unexplainable, uncanny things happening all around you in this otherwise mundane, ordinary life. Just a humble truck driver trying to get from point A to point B, but some strange things are going on here around it. So are we continuing to play this game? I think we are, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm buckled up. I'm ready to ride the roads of Kentucky. I, I need to find out what happens next. So, <laughs> I, yeah, I'd say buckle up. Here we go. Any final predictions about what will happen in the next episode? I just want to hear your wildest theories. Unless you looked ahead, Michael, because then I don't want it. I, I didn't look ahead. I just know that this game is going to get even weirder. That's my prediction. Okay. I I honestly the the way that this game has been going thus far, I honestly can't make a solid prediction and say to myself, "Yeah, that that'll definitely definitely happen because everything that's happened up until this point, I have never been able to to figure out." So the one thing I will say is that the lights are going to go off, 
and then somebody you've been talking to is going to vanish. And <laughs> that's 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 all I'm going to say. That's that's all I'm going to say. I don't even know. A part of me feels like there might be something along the lines of uh, kind of like uh, the, the Netflix series Black Mirror, where each episode might be based around someone completely different because that's that's sort of the vibe i'm getting just this very oh, unsettling man. sort of idea but um it, it would be really awesome to see that and so you know each episode you're focusing now on a new character who's somehow related to kentucky route zero and then they all somehow meet up at the same destination at one point but um i'm pretty sure like your guess is as good as mine <laughs> At this point. Yeah, I, I've, I've no clue. So there, I'm going to end this episode of uh, Kentucky Route Zero. Uh, if you want to find out more about uh, us and the shows we do, uh, you can find out all of that at leftbehindgame.club. You can find us on Twitter at leftbehindclub. You can find us on Instagram at leftbehindgameclub. And Michael, if people want to talk to us directly about how bat-ish this game is, uh, where would the best place to do so be? I desperately, desperately ask for you to go to our join our Discord server, and you can do that by going to leftbehindgame.club. There's a big button in the middle of the page. And just please come in <laughs> and explain what you think is happening and what drug experiences you have that best relate to this, because this game is deeply perplexing to me and unsettling, and I just need to know I'm not alone. So if you could do that, that would be great. So in other um, words, you need a Discord hug is what you're saying. Oh, I, I do. I really do. Um, it, it, it's, yeah, it's, it's a lot. Um, you can find me on other places online, not weirded out <laughs> um, for the most part, um, at michaelrufalo.com um, or rufalom on most social places online. Uh, Adam, where can the people find you at online? Uh, the best place for people to find me online is just via my website, adamayaneta.ca. Uh, it's basically just my uh, professional portfolio for my work as a singer, but uh, I've also got my blog there that talks about my research, and uh, if ever I run out of things to talk about with my research due to a mental block or just genuine frustration, don't be surprised to see me post something about video games dinosaurs or video games about dinosaurs because there are never enough of those so <laughs> <laughs> and jacob where can the people find you uh you can find me on the internet at jacob mccord on all major social media platforms i've also started to upload content on my youtube channel uh so if you want to check out yes, my my excellent. latest my first video in two years on great short indie titles you can play under six hours you can check that out at youtube.com slash jacob mccord like i said jacob mccord on everything uh, Michael, uh, what do we say to him? And that, my friends, is one less game left behind. <laughs>